if it sounds like I'm going to be doing any sniffling or coughing during the beginning of the show or any portion of the podcast today, um, I'm just getting over uh, a sickness that uh, started on Thursday. Um, I was hoping to record on Friday, and unfortunately, it got worse, much worse than I actually thought. I had to call out of work and all that stuff, and I do apologize for not getting out what was supposed to be episode 10 for you guys, but I'm feeling a lot better. Uh, my voice sounds fantastic. I'm not uh, filled up with mucus as I was about uh, two, three days ago. Um, so with all that set aside, let us begin with this opening segment. And it pertains to what happened last night on Monday Night Raw. There are only literally two talking points that I'm going to go over and discuss here to open up the Young Lions perspective. And... It started. It's, we're going to start with a positive. Um, the seg- opening segment that they had with the Shield and the now known Dogs of War, consisting of Braun Strowman, Ziggler, Dolph Ziggler, and uh, Drew McIntyre. Um, they could have not picked a name for them. I don't know why they call them the Dogs of War, but hey, I don't work for WWE nor would I ever want to because. My idea is kick more ass than all of the creative teams combined. But what they said in the opening promo with that is what I want to discuss. It was fantastic what what was said here. Because the main focus of what I got out of it for the segment was surrounding Dean Ambrose. Um, to open up the show, all three members of The Shield, of course, came out. Um, of course, Reigns being the Universal Champion, Rollins being the Intercontinental Champion, and Ambrose not having a belt to speak of. Um, then, uh, Corbin does come out and lets them know that he will be in six-man competition against the Shield tonight with two members of his choosing. Um, that's neither here nor there. I don't really, really respect a member of the TGI Friday's waiting staff, so... We got that going, but I want to discuss what Ziggler and McIntyre had actually said. So, when Corbin came out, Corbin one uh, says that uh, his boss, Stephanie, is here tonight, and it's her birthday. Uh, he said that he won't let Raw turn into madness like it has for a few weeks now as he's putting his foot down. He says that he and his partners, we now, which we figured out later tonight, would actually be the office of pain, and which was the right choice to make for WWE, will toss the shield around the ring, and he promises he will impress his boss. Corbin said they will expose the shield for what they are, selfish individuals. He says everyone in the locker room dislikes the shield individually and as a group. He then goes to say that includes these men. Then out came Strowman, Ziggler, and McIntyre. Strowman then took to the mic and he says that he tell he tell, basically tells Reigns to shine that title up real nice from you know because he won't be wearing it for very long. He then says he can see cracks start to form in the shield, and it's just a matter of time before they implode. He says that at WWE Super Show, it will be the four of them versus the Shield, and he doesn't mean Corbin, which confused me a little bit because I'm thinking like um. So we're going to have a four-on-three handicap match? We're going to have League of Nations versus uh, the New Day all over again? Because I'm not for that, and we all remember that match sucked. 
but he basically he did Ron's like joke saying you know his math is kind of off and I was thinking the same thing but Strowman replied with saying Ambrose is starting to see the light and when you saw Ambrose he had that menacing look on his face like like he like I guess they were they were teasing that heel turn which I really didn't want them to do you know they're be- at this point you start to get that feel of oh shit the Ambrose heel turn is coming. I'm one of those guys, I guess I'm kind of old school in saying that I would rather not see the heel turn come. Yes, the heel turn is coming, but I would rather see, just let it play out. How do how will we get to the heel turn for Ambrose instead of just flat out basically foreshadowing that it's going to happen without fail? And I kind of really messed with, messed with my head a little bit thinking that, man, it really could have just let this go for at least maybe a few weeks, a month. Let this really play out, and then bang! Ambrose hits him with that dirty deeds on Rollins. He attacks Reigns. Bam! Heel turn. We're good. I'm fine with that. Just let it be more organic. Let it just play out. Then we can get to that point. So, he said at the Super Show, it would be the four of them against Rollins and Ziggler. He did say... Then Ziggler chimes in and uh, says that Ambrose doesn't need the shield, but they need him. He knows how good Ambrose can be, and now he has nothing but Rollins, and Am- Rollins and Reigns have everything. LordsofPain.net, give me some uh, typos there. Gotta work on that. Rollins says, Rollins told him that's ridiculous. McIntyre takes to the mic and uh, gave Ambrose props for pushing him to his limits last week. He says Rollins and Reigns don't appreciate Ambrose, and he deserves more. Ambrose continues trying to turn on. They said uh, they're trying to turn Ambrose to, uh, towards them, but Rollins tells him that he's full of it. Wow, Lords of Pain.net really coming with the typos today. Good God. Ziggler said Strowman is trying to win Reigns' WWE title at WWE Crown Jewel, and if Ambrose hangs with them, the Intercontinental title will all be his. Now, considering the fact that Strowman will be going for the Universal Championship at Crown Jewel uh, in the first week of November, uh, Ziggler and McIntyre are the current Raw Tag Team Champions. That leaves Ambrose to get the Intercontinental title away from Seth Rollins. Ziggler goes on to say that he wants Ambrose to turn his back on the shield. Reigns interrupts and tells him, tells him to shut up. He then says the people didn't pay to hear Ziggler run his mouth. Or, as he said it, bump his gums, which made no effing sense. They paid to watch the Shield beat them up, so let's do it. And Ziggler, Strowman, and McIntyre start to make their way towards the ring. Corbin stops them, says there's not going to go down tonight. That's going to you know, wait for the Super Show for this. But what LordsOfPain.net didn't have in there is that they really had a few details that I really, really dug about this segment. Ziggler pointing out that while Ambrose was injured... A couple of weeks after that, Rollins had Jason Jordan as his tag team partner. So that really started digging deep. And I think, yeah, Ambrose was definitely out. Um, her, and he was basically implying that, you know, Rollins just replaced him immediately. Like, it was nothing to him. I love that. You know, he's really trying to, to dig at Rollins. Trying to, you know, trying to go to Ambrose and the thinking, like, in the end, they really didn't care about me and all this stuff and the promo that they cut was just simply fantastic and that was 
if anything, the best part of Raw last night. I mean, you can look at the rest of the show, and you have things like Finn Balor and Jinder Mahal, and the only reason we had that match was because Finn Balor and Bailey was going to face Mahalisha, which is uh, Mahal and Alicia Fox in the Mixed Match Challenge next week, and I really don't care for the Mixed Match Challenge, so that was whatever. You had, uh, and then we get to my second point, which the it is a six-woman tag match between Natalia and the Bella Twins taking on the Riot Squad. Now, for me personally, the women's, and I'm doing this in air quotes, revolution has been nothing more than just meh. It hasn't really been a revolution, an evolution. I think, in my opinion, it's been more of a recession. It's been going backwards. Because once the Bella Twins came back into the fold, a lot of the females on the roster got pushed back into the back burner and started elevating the Bellas towards the forefront. Now, we already pretty much know, and I did talk about this, I believe, last episode or episode 8 of the podcast where I discussed the leaked evolution card that was going to be happening um, in the month of October, late October, for evolution. And I said it really didn't make any sense for Nikki Bella to be in the main event. Just because you are you have a, you know, now going on your ninth season with uh, Total Divas and you have Total Bellas on the E-Network does not constitute you to get a push and get a shot at the Raw Women's Championship. It doesn't make sense when there's a lot, I'd say, better women, more talented women on the roster that could wrestle circles around you any day of the week. You know, names like Ruby Ryan, Ember Moon, Sasha Banks, Bailey. I'll include Natalia in that fold. Because I still would want to see a Natalia Ronda Rousey feud. That would have just made all kinds of sense. Natalia gets pissed off that Ronda's taking the spotlight from her and she wants the spotlight back. Duh. Just made most just made sense. I mean, come on. Like, you're trying you're trying to Give me good quality shows, or you're trying to be assholes. You tell me. But it's it's not that the, the match itself was trash from beginning to end. But there were at one portion of the match, actually two points in the match, Brie Bella fucked up royally. Royally. I'm sure you've seen it all in your Twitter timelines last night. Twitter literally blew the fuck up and let me see if I can actually find it here on lordsofpain.net okay so it got to the point where Liv Liv Morgan and Brie Bella were in the ring Brie Bella sets her up for her yes kicks the first couple were good hit right on the chest like they're supposed to a la Daniel Bryan I thought okay Get these guys get to go over with, get the match over with, blah, blah, blah. But the last two were the most concerning. And it looked like with every, I think it was the last three or I think she went for, I think it was like four or five, maybe six kicks. And the last three were the most concerning because she was actually looking at and pointing at the uh, corner of the riot squad as she 
before she landed her kick. The third kick hit the hill. I would, I would say about the upper part of the chest, maybe part of the throat. The last two were the most concerning. It was, she pointed at Sarah, I think it was at Sarah Logan. She kicks her square in the face, and immediately you could tell. If you watch any MMA, kickboxing match from Glory, any UFC fight, Bellator, you know a swift kick to the face, not from the foot, but from the shin of your leg. And when it hit properly, could literally knock anyone the fuck out. I think at that, the first kick, I think knocked Liv Morgan out. And then she proceeds to hit a second kick. And that, would, that just added insult to injury. And I'm literally watching this live and I'm thinking, oh my God, she's knocked out. She's knocked out. You could tell once she hit the first one, she was already gone. The second one, Liv Morgan was actually coming down because when, I mean, I've never been kicked in the face. I've been punched in the face. Um, not to the point where I've been knocked the fuck out, but I have been hit in the face. So I know what it feels like. But when you're getting hit and you're knocked out, your body is coming down naturally forward or coming backward. Since she was in a seated position, her body was naturally going down forward, leaning forward. And Brie Bella hits her in the face again. And anyone who's anybody who's smart, you could tell Liv Morgan was out. Completely out. So, in th- in that case, it's usually up to the, it, at that point, it's usually more so towards the referee to even to try to make the decision to whether either you know for it's, it's one of three things I should say, either Brie Bella realizes, oh shit, I may have really hurt her, and so the re- so either let me do a Brie Mo chant and let the referee come towards Liv. Or what Brie Bella actually did, which was number two, which is actually go for the cover. Or the referee immediately recognizes it and goes for the X. Um, the ref, now, two happened. Option two. Number two happened. The ref didn't recognize it. I mean, I don't know if the, recognize, if the ref recognized it immediately. I wasn't exactly sure if he did. And if he did, <coughs> excuse me. If the ref did recognize it, I think he was, I'm sure he was told in his earpiece, hey, you might want to look at Liv. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but at that point, I'm thinking the ref needs to, like, check on Liv right now and maybe start throwing up that X because she was knocked the fuck out completely. You could easily tell she was knocked out. So, Brie goes for the cover, gets the, I don't know how Liv I guess, I guess at this point, I mean, for a professional wrestler, I don't know, I've never been in the ring, but I can see it. Instinctually, she kicks out. She then, Brie then picks her up by her by her head, and right now I'm just face palming because it's, it's just tragic how, how this event occurred. Drags her by her head over to the corner. Okay? At that point... I believe Sarah Logan tags in because they both, I, I can tell, you could tell Riot and Morgan were A, pissed, and B, they needed to tag her out. So, 
Logan tags out. Logan tags Morgan. She gets out of the ring. The one stupid thing Michael Cole actually said was Liv Morgan was actually in the back getting checked on by trainers. When And then immediately as he said that, the camera panned right over to the side. Dr. Chris Amon looked over, was actually over by the barricade checking on her. So that was a huge blunder in and of itself. I know Cole was trying to have the fans believe that, yes, she was in the back, but when you had, but I guess the producer, and I'm going to, I'm going to blame Kevin Dunn for this one, bad idea to pan over to the freaking corner when you have Liv Morgan getting checked on by doctors. Just bet. This was a whole bad situation all around. So the second one I want to talk, the second botch I'll talk about real quick. And I'm going to, and I love what happened afterwards was that Logan uh, had her by the, had Brie Bella's legs, lifted her up for a monkey flip. I, I tried to lift her up into the ropes and try to throw out the ring. She hits Riot with an elbow. And I, I believe you could see Brie Bella say tag or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. You correct me if I'm wrong. But you then see Riot immediately tag in Logan, tag Logan out. And then Riot gets in and kicks her square. I believe it was either in the chest or in the face, but she kicked her hard as shit. As if to say, are basically to give her the receipt. And for those of you who don't know what a receipt is in wrestling, um, and I'll give you an example. Uh, I believe it was the fatal four-way match last year at SummerSlam between Brock Lesnar, Samoa Joe, Roman Reigns, and uh, Braun Strowman for the Universal Championship. And I believe it, it was Strowman who, I guess, was going a little bit too hard on uh, Brock Lesnar. And with vet, and I guess with, veter- and with veterans, you know, there's some things you, especially, especially for Strowman, I believe he was in his like first, second year, maybe third year in. So he's still a young guy in the company. There's, it gets to a point where sometimes veterans don't like what you're doing. You might be going a little too hard or you might have hit him a little too hard and you you get the receipt. So what Brock Lesnar did was give him a gave him a straight up two piece to his face as if to say, do not do that ever again. Riot basically did the same thing to Brie Bella last night. She tags in, tags Logan out. She gets in the ring. Rebella's on all fours, and she kicks her hard as shit on the chest. As if to say, how dare you do that to live? We're trying to be professional. I understand you're trying to be professional. You're trying to be, you know, and I mean, between all wrestlers involved, it's all about basically A, trusting the person you're in the ring with, and B, making sure they get out of it unscathed. No injuries, maybe some bruises and cuts, but no, no severe injuries or anything of the like. So, pretty much that happened. Riot, uh, Ruby hits a disaster kick, uh, Riot kick actually, on Natalia to get the victory. But, I did see Twitter go ballistic. And, in my opinion, personally, it was, it was obviously needed. I know that, I, I did see the tweet that, uh, Bree and Nikki put out on their uh, joint Twitter page saying, you know, basically trying to do damage control. Like, it wasn't intentional. We know what we're trying to do in the ring and all this stuff. And, you know, sending love to 
you know, Liv Morgan and all, but an apology would have been just as successful, if not needed. Since the Bella Twins have made their return to WWE, she has literally, Brie Bella has literally botched four weeks in a row. Literally four weeks in a row. Uh, she had the neat, and I saw this from a, a tweet that uh, Rosenberger put out saying that um, just a little while ago before I started recording that, you know, we as internet fans shouldn't be criticizing the form, shouldn't be criticizing what Brie Bella did because it isn't needed. And JD from NY206 said it perfectly, stating that, you know, for the last four weeks, Brie Bella has literally botched. You had the knee with Zelina Vega. You had the two attempts at um, going for suicide dives on the outside, once um, for Sarah Logan, and she failed at that attempt. And then the second one that she that she went for, which she damn near broke her own self, I think, I don't, I'm not sure if her foot caught the, feet caught the ropes, or she just couldn't get it at all and she literally damn near broke herself and i think i was it was um live and right uh, ruby trying to have to save her from breaking herself and then she gave Miz a black eye and then what, what actually happened to live morgan last night you can try to Spin the narrative by saying, oh, she's been out of the ring for a while. She's, you know, she had her pregnancy. She just got back in. It doesn't matter. You can spin that narrative all you want. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't disprove the fact that what she did last night, in my opinion, was very careless. It was terribly not safe. It was just egregious. And... Honestly, at this point, and I believe I said it mostly myself, that she should not be in the ring for a while. I know, I think that's some, uh, somebody replied to one of my tweets this morning when I was checking it out, and they said, basically, you know, she needs to be suspended. Um, I remember, I think I remember the incident that happened when uh, Paige got injured at the, when uh, Sasha, well, I believe it was Sasha Banks at a house show, and I believe Paige hit her with a kick that gave her a concussion and fans went ballistic on Sasha by saying she should be fired for what she did. You know, things happen in the ring. Hell, there was a match, I believe, with Rey Mysterio um, in a match and a wrestler actually died in the ring at a, a, a show in Mexico. And a lot of people were going at Rey Mysterio for that. And there was no wrongdoing on his part. Things happen in the ring. Anytime you step between those ropes as a professional wrestler, the chance of getting injured is possible. I believe I saw uh, Jordan Grace. She uh, rolled her ankle at a show. I believe it was this past weekend. Uh, this past weekend. Sasha Banks is injured. Alexa Bliss is right now injured with an arm injury. You've seen the, the commercials for Don't Try This at Sorry. Home. I don't know that. Really, Alexa? I, I ain't got time for you. I, I have no time for you right now. Happens every show. Jesus Christ. But injuries do happen in the ring. What I don't like is that when you're doing certain moves in the ring, you gotta know 
what you're doing and how you're doing it. You don't need to be looking at the corner, pointing to the corner every single time you're performing a kick. Keep your eyes on the person you're in the ring with. Keep your eyes on what you're trying to hit. And maybe, just maybe, you won't knock somebody the hell out. I know, I know right now she is probably really upset at the fact that she really may have given Liv Morgan a concussion. Um, the possibility of a broken nose is also there. I mean, hell, John Cena took a knee from Seth Rollins and dislodged his nose. Trust me, we've all seen the segment. We've all seen John Cena's nose look like, goddamn, who did it in the ring? But this is, this, I, I don't, I don't think that she will be suspended. Given the fact that Sasha Banks did not receive any suspension, she didn't receive any fines for her actions, things happened in the ring. But this, this is unforgivable. This is truly unforgivable. And... Mind you, she's she's still she's more than likely going to be on SmackDown this week. SmackDown the night, who knows? She may not. Vince may tell her, "Hey, you might not want to be on the show this week." I respect the fact that Brie Bella is a mother. I respect the fact that Brie Bella is the businesswoman. She does have her TV show with uh, Total Divas and uh, Total Bellas. You know, even though I do not watch it because it's just reality bullshit. But th- this isn't, you know, this is really isn't needed. I said it before, the Bella Twins do not need to be in WWE. I mean, sure, you can have them in a, in a, a capacity where they can be involved with, the, you know, the women's division, but not as a top priority for your women's championship going forward, especially for Nikki Bella. She doesn't need to have that women's championship match at all. So, and I, I believe I posted on Twitter last night that the Raw women's division is going up, down, in flames. Really, it is. I mean, you're getting six women tags every week. The Bellas are being pushed. No other woman is really getting that much shine as far as, you know, having a rivalry outside of the women's championship goes. Um, but it re- this now really hurts the the Raw Women's Division a lot more than a, a whole bunch of people are going to admit. It's crazy to me that we now live in a time where, as we had, as we're literally like, what, Four weeks towards evolution. Four weeks away from evolution. And with all that's been going on, trying to push the women, we get this. I don't know what's going to happen for Brie Bella moving forward. I don't know what's going to happen for the Bella Twins moving forward. If I were smart, and if I were Vince McMahon, with an actual not senile brain... I would not put either of the Bellas on the show. They're pr- he's probably going to, and fans will bitch, and they'll it will fall on deaf ears. But that's what all I have to say about 
Raw last night. I usually don't like to talk about Raw because Raw is usually trash. Uh, you know, the hope for that under 2.47 rating is still there. It's still there. I'm hoping for it just to prove my fucking point. This is actually episode 10 of the Young Lions Perspective. And with that being said, let us begin. What's going on, guys? Zach from the Wrestling with Issues Podcast here, and welcome to episode 10 of the Young Lions Perspective. I'm so happy that we have got to 10. This is one of the, uh, I guess, an achievement of mine. I wanted to see if I can get to 10 episodes and still, you know, try to be as relevant as I can within the world of professional wrestling and talk about things I wanted to talk about. And I appreciate every single one of you so far that has checked out the show, maybe told a friend about it, and gotten them onto the show, whether whatever platform you did check out, whether it be, you know, the Anchor app that I'm on right now, the Mothership, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Overcast, whatever whatever uh, platform you have checked out this show on, I greatly and truly appreciate you. I wouldn't say it's a, I guess it could, to me it's a landmark, and uh, I got my coffee here, so uh, here's to 10 more. Now, as I said in the beginning of the program before I went on my opening rant, I do apologize for not getting a show out last week. Um, I wanted to get a show out on Friday to talk about the latest episode of NXT that involved the champion versus champion match between Ricochet and Pete Dunne for the NXT North American and UK Championships. That was a barn burner of a match. This would, It is definitely on my list for possible match of the year candidates, even though at the end, Undisputed Era did come out and cause a disqualification for both sides. I love the match from beginning to end. That was a classic match. Um, I had the feeling that they weren't going to have either man lose, especially for Ricochet, who just recently won the championship from Adam Cole at TakeOver Brooklyn just a month ago. So I had that strange feeling that it may cause a disqualification. Luckily for me, with my mind, it did. And th- that was a barn burner of a match. The, the crowd was so invested in that match that it was true it was insane the amount of moves they were trying to go for and i wanted to talk about the may young classic episode three uh especially with the return of caitlin going up against uh, kavita devi making her return uh caitlin getting the victory and moving on to the second to the quarterfinals of the tournament and of course the match between tony storm and jenny seeing a, a progress rivalry pro, yeah, words are hard Progress rivalry. There we go. Um, seeing that actually being showcased to the masses, and you know, especially for Jenny now, you know, getting her chance to shine, it was really awesome to see those two, to see their chemistry, you know, just flow, you know, be shown to the world. It was fantastic. And then, of course, the main event being Mia Yim taking on Allison K. I had never seen Allison K before. In a ring, I had heard about her. She's known, um, for those who watch Impact, she is known as Sienna. It's the world. But I had never seen her in a ring before. And she and her and Mia Yim tore the house down in the main event. I was very pleased with what those two brought to the table. It was, it was fantastic. And then hearing uh, over the weekend that Mia Yim actually signed 
to the WWE and will be working at the Performance Center for the NXT brand. That just made that even better for uh, all parties involved. So I apologize for not getting that out there for you guys. I really wanted to because I was really hyped about talking about it, especially after what happened on Wednesday. But sometimes Mother Nature just tells you to go fuck yourself and you just need to shut it down for a few days. So, but besides all that, we got on the docket today, New Japan Pro Wrestling's Destruction and Kobe 2018. And for those of you who do have NJPW World, uh, the app, or you have it, NJPWWorld.com, this was a very, very, trying to look for the right word to go on with this, because it was a very, I guess I would say prolific event. Um, A lot of things went down that most people weren't expecting. I'll put it to you like this. On Sunday morning, uh, I was still, I mean, I'm still recovering. Um, I'm, I'm a lot better than I was about, I'd say two days ago. I'll tell you that. On Sunday, I woke up at 2.30 in the morning. Um, Woke up in a cold sweat, just feeling like crap. And I, I, I looked at my phone, just checking stuff. And I real, and then they showed on for YouTube that um, it was uh, Destruction in Kobe, which was the last event of the uh, Destruction tour that started on September 5th. And I was thinking, wait, they're having an event today? I was like, I mean, I don't think I'm going to go back to sleep anytime soon. So let's watch it. And I'm so glad that I actually saw it live from beginning to end and actually saw what happened throughout. It was a, it was a very impressive event. Uh, another match of the year candidate in Okada and Tanahashi. Uh, we'll definitely get into that later. Uh, a lot of names came out. Uh, Young Lions, you know, really came out to play in the opening matches. And, uh, of course, I believe uh, we had the beginning of the uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight uh, Championship Tournament. Uh, for, for those who don't know, Hiromu, uh, the time bomb, Hiromu Takahashi, uh, suffered a neck injury at the, um, I believe it was, uh, it was, I think it was the uh, Dominion event back in May. Uh, Dragon Lee, he was facing Dragon Lee in a one-on-one match. I believe it was non-title. Um, Dragon Lee went for a suplex, and... Takahashi landed on his head, thus uh, suffering a severe neck injury. And um, my thoughts go out to Hiromu Takahashi. He is definitely one of my favorites, uh, the junior heavyweights. Um, definitely has a style that I really like. Of course, he's part of Los Ingrenables de Japón with Naito and all those boys. Uh, so, very, so Takahashi, get well soon. Get well soon, bro, because we definitely need you in the, uh, the juniors division. You are definitely missed. Uh, so take care of yourself and hopefully we're going to see you in, tw- I'm thinking probably 2019 because that, I mean, if you've seen the, uh, the video for that, it was a rough bump that he had to take. So with that happening, the title was actually then had to be vacated by Takahashi. He had to vacate it because he hadn't really, def- after the G1, they went back to their, of course, their tours. So since Takahashi was unable to defend the title, he had to uh, relinquish the belt. So what New Japan did was have the last four champions before Takahashi actually be a part of the tournament. So that would be Bushi from LIJ. You had Kushida, Will Ospreay, 
and you had Marty Skrull. So the first match of this tournament, which would be Kushida and Bushi, which we'll discuss later on, was the first one in the tournament. Marty Skrull and Will Ospreay will face each other at Fighting Spirit Unleashed, which is going down on actually this coming Sunday. So I think I'm about to do some predictions in another episode. I would say probably maybe this Friday we'll get into that. I'll definitely get into NXT in episode four of the May Young Classic. I'll definitely spread that in there. For sure. So look out for that. But so at the end of it, I believe King of Pro Wrestling on October 8th will be the championship match between the four of them. So with that being said, let us begin with the opening match of Destruction in Kobe. And it involved two young lions, uh, Yota Suji and Yuya Uemura. Uh, this, this is actually a little bit of a storyline going into this in which uh, these two had 14 matches against each other. I guess part of the matches they were facing uh, were part of the Destruction Tour, I'm sure. And Kevin Kelly actually stated at the beginning of the match, uh, they were 0-0-14. Neither man could get a victory over each other in 14 matches. So they were actually, there's actually a little bit of a storyline going into it, which one could get the first singles victory. Um... Uh, it was a, just a nice little 10-minute match. Had a little uh, little bit of a slow start. I mean, in 10 minutes, you really can't... You can get a little bit done. But for the, uh, the young guys, they're trying to really show themselves and try to, you know, gain more experience and trying to show and prove to, the tra- to their trainers that they are, are worthy of moving up to the next level and learning more moves and getting their moves set up, which is always a good thing for those. And I believe uh, two of the guys right now, uh, I believe Kawato and... Um, Oh, I'm going to, I forget the other guy's name, but two guys are on excursion right now. I believe one of them is actually in Rev Pro right now, and Kawato is on excursion as well. So these guys are trying to build up towards that. So neither of them actually could get the victory. Um, they really went off on each other back and forth uh, a lot. They, these two were aggressive from beginning to end. You uh, and more, I believe, was the heavier of the two. Suji being the more junior heavyweight type, um, I really like both of these guys. And towards the end, Uemura uh, attempted to turn Suji for a Boston Crab, uh, sat down for a pin instead. Uh, really close, was very close to getting the victory here. Uh, the final minute of the match was really was the one was really getting me invested. Suji uh, kicked Uemura as he turned him over for a Boston Crab. Actually, no, Suji is the heavy heavyweight. Uemura is the uh, junior heavyweight. I uh, apologize for that. And um, so Suji gets him in the Boston Crab. In, the, in like the last, I think, 30 seconds of this match, uh, Suji was going for everything on this. He cranked back on it. Uh, at the end, Uemura perseveres, and the bell rang at 10 minutes. Thus, uh, ending another time limit draw. So they are now 0-0 and 15 against each other. Um, if I'm sure this will turn into a little bit of a feud between these two, and it's uh, pretty good to see, you know, they're actually having a bit of a rivalry, um, within the Young Lions to tell a bit of a story, you know, trying to gain, to become top of the class for their particular class, and I really enjoy that, that there's a little bit of a parody there. Moving on, we got, uh, of course, former IWGP heavyweight champions, Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Rapongi 3K, Sho and Yo going up against Young Lions, Shota Umino, and Ren Narita. Um, I've seen a bit of uh, Umino, actually, 
over some shows, especially during the uh, G1 Climax tournament. He was definitely getting a bit of shine. And Dave Meltzer even said he's actually at the top. He feels he's at the top of the class. And he de uh, Umino definitely showed up and showed out for this. I had never seen Narita before. Um, he de he and Umino worked very well together from what I saw against uh, Rapongi 3K. They really put, took um, showing Yo to their limit. Um, they got a lot more offense than I thought they were going to. I thought it was going to be a shorter match than... And I thought I anticipated a shorter match, uh, but they got they got a good amount of time to show off their skills, especially for Umino. Um, I feel he's definitely at the top of the, his game with his with his class right now. Um, they I, it, it got to the end of the match. Uh, I thought they were actually going to win the match. There, there was a there were a few times in this match where uh, I believe Umino and Narita were getting pins on both Show and Yo, and they were really close two counts, like two point nine counts. Um, I did like the the spot they had when the uh, Umino and Narita had both had Boston Crabs on Show and Yo. And for those that don't know about the um the Young Lions, their main finisher is a uh, Boston Crab, which is kind of weird considering the fact that you know it's just a standard you know submission hold. Anybody can learn it. Anybody can just grab legs, turn over, and push back, pull back. But that's their main finisher, and that was the that's the finisher they start with. And then as they go, as they come along and actually gain more experience, and you know. The trainers feel they can begin learning more moves, then they can expand on their on their move set. So, I did like that spot. I really thought uh, I think Show was the one who was the legal man at that point. I thought he was actually going to tap out, and they were going to get the victory, and it would have been a huge, huge notch on both of their belts if they got that victory. Uh, like like I saw before, Narita got some a uh, few flash pin attempts, uh, but before Yo hits the Falcon Arrow and gets the victory. Um, it was a good win for three uh, Rapungi 3K, uh, especially knowing the Junior Tag League is going to be coming up for those boys. Um, of course, uh, coming up in October and November, that we're going to have um, the Tag League for the Juniors and then the World Tag League for the Heavyweight Tag Teams. With I, if I'm if I'm no if I'm right, both the winners of both leagues get become the number one contenders for their respective tag team championships. Whoever the tag team champs may be. Uh, right now in the junior tag team division, it's uh, Yoshinobu Kanamaru and El Desperado. And for the heavyweight tag team, uh, that will probably be, be decided at uh, Fighting Spirit Unleashed when they have the Young Bucks defending the heavyweight tag titles against the Gorillas of Destiny being Tamatanga and Tangaloa. And that's going to be a really good match right there. We get into uh, junior heavyweight, we get into another tag match. Uh, between the junior heavyweight tag team champions, El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanamaru, and Jushin Thunder Liger and Tiger Mask. Ah, and for those who are true Liger fans, this was definitely a match for you. I really, I actually enjoyed this match. It really um, was something I thoroughly enjoyed, especially because I'm a big Liger fan. Having seen him in WCW, and then, of course, seeing him on TakeOver, going up against Tyler Breeze, that was a pretty cool moment. So, with this, uh, Liger and Tiger Mask were coming out to the ring for their match, and out of nowhere, both members of Suzuki Goon attack Liger and Tiger Mask early on. Um, I was actually uh, surprised that they were actually going for this, especially given the fact that Suzuki Goon are true fucking heels and will do anything they can to get the victory, led by Minoru Suzuki, and that boy is a madman. So they were definitely you know, showing off their heelish skills there. 
Towards the end of the match, we see a top rope Hurricane Rana from Liger. Um, a Kanemaru moonsault that nearly connected. Um, I love Kanemaru. Kanemaru was one of those guys that, I mean, I've seen El Desperado before, and he's killed it, but Kana, Yoshinobu Kanemaru was one of those guys that I had to really take on to early on. Um, I didn't see him for a while in the early going. He got into the fold, and out of nowhere, Desperado and Kanemaru won their first uh, junior tag titles. So it took me a little bit to, you know, understand Kanemaru, but I love his style. I love how he goes in the ring. He was one, he was actually uh, a pro wrestling Noah Jr. And he's, and from what I'm seeing on uh, VoicesOfWrestling.com, he is one of their most decorated juniors. So that definitely says something about him. He turned it on very, very nicely. Uh, those two, in Desperado and Kanemaru work very well together. Uh, they've been champions since March of this year, taking the titles. And they, they showed their chemistry very well. But in the end, Kanemaru actually ate a crucifix pin. And Liger and Tiger Mask actually got the victory here, defeating the junior tag champs. This was a good little back and forth. Um, at the uh, After the match, Liger grabs the mic. And I don't understand Japanese, but thank goodness they had a Japanese translator at the, at the booth with Kevin Kelly. Basically stating that they want their shot at the junior heavyweight tag belt. So I'm thinking maybe at uh, King of Pro Wrestling or maybe an event down the line before the junior tag league, um, they'll have that title shot there. And I'm thinking Kanemaru and Desperado will retain the belts because Wrestle Kingdom is coming in about four months. And I think they want to put their best foot forward, especially with the junior tag leagues coming. Maybe we see a Rapongi 3K, uh, Desperado, Kanemaru rematch. Who knows, but it'll be interesting to see who will come out of the junior tag league to face Desperado and Kanemaru if they remain champions. We then get into an eight-man tag match. Man, there were really a lot of tag matches at this place. But um, it doesn't take away, it doesn't really take away from the event. It's really nice to see a lot of guys being able to get into the ring. It's not like how WWE does it on Monday Night Raw when they're doing 800 tag matches and they make absolutely no sense. Or if they're doing Bobby Roode and Chad Gable versus The Ascension for the eighth fucking time. I digress. Oh, good coffee. Good coffee. So, um, there's a little bit of, it was, oh man, it wasn't much to go on. It was, uh, Tenkoji, which is, uh, the form of the team of, um, Satoshi Kojima and Hiroyoshi Tenzan, Yuji Nagata, Blue Justice, Manabu Nakanishi taking on, uh, the team of Great Bash Heel, which is Togi Makabe and Tomowaki Hanma, Ryusuke Taguchi, and uh, the young, only young lion in this match, Ayato Yoshida, which was very, very interesting seeing Yoshida being actually surrounding all of these like great names. Of course, Nagata, Kojima, Tanzan, Makabe, who's a freaking beast, Hanma, uh, Taguchi, a former uh, IWGP junior tag champion and junior heavyweight champion. There's a lot of experience in that ring. For Yoshida, I'm sure this was a great experience for him to actually just get in the ring with him and get that experience. It was fantastic. I I mean, from what they're saying, it was a two-and-a-quarter match, two-and-a-quarter-star match. I thought it was a better match than that. Um, they had a little bit of comedy going on in the match. Um Nothing too crazy. Uh, seeing yo, Yoshida, but seeing Yoshida getting the nod to be a part of this eight man tag says may say a lot about him. Um, but I, I did like the, the the one spot I did enjoy was um, what was it? Yoshida, 
Hanma and Makabe doing the, I guess, the train, as they call it, and Taguchi just leading the team. Of course, he is uh, uh, the leader of Taguchi Japan, which consists of, uh, I think, him, uh, David Finley, Juice Robinson, part of that little bit of a squad. So I do like his comedy antics. It was a really nice spot in the match. I mean, it was really nothing to go on, but in the end, uh, Yuji Nagata gets hit with uh, penalty kicks and uh, almost went for the Nagata went for the Nagata lock. Somehow he gets out of that, uh, but takes him and hits him with a suplex to get the victory there. But what the one thing I want to take away from this match is um, is a couple things. Uh, you, with World Tag League coming up in November. You're going to see, of course, Tenkoji back in there. It's good, really nice to see Kojima back into the fold, especially um, being back from injury. You're going to see, of course, Makabe and Hanma getting into the fold. It's a great match heel. It's going to be great to see Hanma back in the tournament because he and Makabe definitely killed it um, from what I've seen over the past couple of years in the tag league itself. Um, Taguchi, I'm sure, will be in the junior league tournament, and then Nagata and Nakanishi will probably be a tag team as well. So that was a, it was a really nice match. Uh, great for Yoshida to get some uh, time in there with the uh, veterans with doing that. Now, this ma- this next match I really enjoyed, uh, which is the Killer Elite Squad, the team of Lance Archer and Davey Boy Smith Jr., the son of uh, British Bulldog, and the team of uh, the best friends being uh, Beretta and Chucky e. T. Now, I had never seen... I've seen Beretta in action when he teamed with Rocky Romero, I've seen that. I've seen Beretta perform. I had never seen Beretta and Chucky team perform together as the best friends. And I was thoroughly impressed by both of these guys. Um, What I do love about New Japan is they take their tag teams seriously. When they, I mean, you have the higher, when the hierarchy of the tag team, the heavyweight tag team division, in this case, you have, of course, the Young Bucks being the current heavyweight tag team champions. You have the Gorillas of Destiny pretty much gunning for them right afterwards. You have now the Killer Elite Squad again back in uh, back to prominence. I'm assuming the best friends are definitely going to be involved and in trying to make waves in the heavyweight division, considering the fact that Beretta uh, has now moved up to heavyweight. And uh, it's really good for him because hopefully in the future, Beretta starts going for the Never Openweight Championship, IWGP Intercontinental Championship, uh, maybe for the heavyweight title somewhere in the future, but I don't, I think his limit is the IWGP Intercontinental Championship for now. But you have, you look at the heavyweight division, tag team division, and there's a good amount of depth there. And that's what I love about New Japan. They can really present their tag teams very well. And I'm a tag team guy. I love the tag teams divisions. And I really wish that WWE could actually do the same with their tag team divisions, especially on Raw, in which they have AOP, The Revival, Ziggler, McIntyre, and those guys, and build it around that. We're getting back into this match. It started off with uh, KES spent, uh, spending most of the match dominating the best friends. These two, uh, Killer Elite Squad, they are former heavyweight tag team champions, and they work very well together. Of course, being under the Suzuki Goon group, they are true heels, and they show it every single time. Um, when... The best friends, uh, when Beretta or Chucky e. Chi tried to go for a big move, KES counters. Um, they were building the narrative that they were uh, getting familiar with each other's, each other's moves, uh, evading many attacks. Um, they are pretty much trying to like show, like, okay, we know your moves as much as you know our moves. Um, they got t- Chucky e. T outside. Um, Davy Boy Smith Jr. shouts to Lance Archer, let's kill him. 
to which uh, Archer responds, everybody dies. So this was towards the end of the match. They were going for the killer bomb, which is their finishing move to end their matches. And I think they hit one. They pretty much, I think they kicked out of it. They went for it again to Beretta and actually Beretta somehow rolls Archer over and he gets the three count and the victory. Um, It was really nice to see, you know, Beretta be recognized as the underdog in the match. It was really nice to see Chucky T uh, get some time in there. Uh, I believe both of them actually went through, did a double uh, move over the top, jump over the top rope and landed on both uh, Archer and um, Davey Boy Smith Jr. That was really nice. These two teams, I think, work very, very well together. And I'm hoping that they get start a little feud between the two teams going forward and maybe lead to something at Wrestle Kingdom. Maybe a t- maybe one of these two teams will be in the hunt for the tag team championships. It would be really nice to see those two. One of those two teams that uh, getting the title shot. I mean, everything I'm saying now is built. I'm building towards Wrestle Kingdom. Everything they're doing now, we're starting to build towards Wrestle Kingdom. And I think these two teams are definitely going to be in the hunt for the tag team championships. And do not be surprised if... Mm-hmm. We get another match between the best friends and the Killer Elite Squad in the finals of the World Tag League. I'm just going to say that now. I don't know who's going to be in the league yet, but do not be surprised if these are the two teams you see in the final getting earn, trying to earn a spot at the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships, whether it be the Young Bucks or the Gorillas of Destiny. So we have that. We have we go from that to a six man tag. Between the uh, Chaos Faction, which consisted of Switchblade Jay White, Yoshihashi, and Will Ospreay against Juice Robinson, David Finley, and Toa Hanare. And with these six guys, there's a lot of talent here. Of course, Juice Robinson being the IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion. um, He's going to be going up against Cody at Fighting Spirit Unleashed on Sunday. And that's going to be... Oh, crazy match, uh, especially for Juice Robinson being on a big stage, going up against the now NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, um, David Finley. Excuse me. Um, I really like what he's shown. He's, uh, I think I discussed it when I was talking about the G1 Climax Final. Uh, he was, he is now recognized as the C-Block Champion, holding up that uh, little thumbs-up trophy. Toma Hanare, um, coming back from Excursion, really showing himself to be a possible prominent heavyweight with within the ranks. Um, I would really like to see him maybe, I would say either next year or the year after. I You can possibly see Toa Hanare make a chance, make a, a spot in the G1 Climax Tournament because he's going to be that good of a heavyweight. You just got to give him a little time. Jay White, of course, being uh, the switchblade, being the heel of the member of Chaos, He's definitely someone I think you're going to look out for, especially after his performance in the G1 Climax Tournament, beating, you know, Okada in the tournament, and then doing what he did. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to foreshadow it. I'm not trying to, I'm foreshadowing here. I'm not trying to give it away. But what he did later on the night, really, I really think they're going to be pushing this guy a lot more. And Will Ospreay speaks for itself. I mean, this is just to give him a little bit of momentum going into his match with Marty Skrull this Sunday. Oh, excuse me. So, the match started off real hot. Really, really hot between these two. And uh, 
Yoshihashi as of late is one of those guys where he's been like a, a, a true mid-carder, but he's definitely been proving himself as of late, especially within the G1 Climax Tour. He definitely started kicking ass. Starting off hot, getting the better of Finley and Juice. Um, early, I mean, Yoshihashi has definitely shown his wear within that, and it was really great seeing him getting a lot of action in. So, a little later on in the match, uh, Finley's down in the ring. Osprey looks like he's about to springboard onto him, but he does a double jump and flips onto Juice and Hanari on the outside instead. That move was fantastic. Um, early on, I mean, there's a lot of Jay White not getting involved as much with this, and that was, uh, of course, in true Jay White style. Juice Robinson getting his spots in, hitting his numbers. I'm telling you, Hanare is going to be one of those guys in the future that we're going to be truly enjoying. Uh, I really do like that Islander character they're really putting on him. A lot of people think it would be like the old school Usos before they turn heel. Um, I mean, he has he hit a, a delayed uh, deadlift vertical suplex and really showed off his strength. I enjoyed that thoroughly. It was fantastic. So it was it was something. It was it, I enjoyed this match. Towards the end, see here, uh, Yoshihashi uh, restrained Hinare for White to strike him. Uh, the crowd was beginning to buzz a little bit towards that. I was really surprised that it didn't happen. Hinare ducks out of the way. White hits Yoshihashi instead. After a bit, a little bit of a re- uh, remorse there, White then hits the Blade Runner on Hanare to get the victory for his team. Um, I'm really loving the dissension storyline within the Chaos Faction. Uh, it has been coming on as of late ever since Okada brought Jay White into the fold. And if anyone, if, if you're a big New Japan fan like myself, you know that White was also part of the reason that the Bullet Club began its dissension between especially Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes. I'm foreshadowing people. I'm telling you, at the end, it gets really, really good. It was truly fantastic. So, Chaos gets the victory there. A uh, really good match between these two. I Between these six, I should say. It was a really fun match. This is probably one of the matches I really would want to go back and check out. Just for the talent that was in the ring. Especially for uh, Jay White and Will Ospreay. I really enjoyed those two in there. We then got six-man tag action between... Uh, and this, is a bit of, this has been a bit of a rivalry as of late. Between Suzuki Goon and Lij, they had uh, Tetsuya Naito, Evil, and Sonata going up against Minoru Suzuki, Zack Saber Jr., and Takamichi Noku. Um, I know that in Beipu on the 17th, Naito defeated Suzuki in a one-on-one match, and this that rivalry has been going on crazy as of late, and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. I'm not going to say that. Naito and Suzuki will face off against each other at Wrestle Kingdom. That I mean, we've already seen the matches between these two, and I if they make I guess if they make it somewhat interesting and have a little maybe a bit of a stipulation, it could go down. Not saying it would, but somewhere down the line, this does have to end. But in against each, I mean, from what I'm seeing, from what I heard, it was a decent main event to end in Beipu. But these two definitely go off on each other every single time they meet, which is always a fantastic thing. I'm hoping sometime soon Chris Jericho does come back into the fold. And, hey, maybe we'll get a three-way between Jericho, Naito, and Suzuki 
for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. I mean, Chris Jericho does have to defend it soon. I'm sure NJPW would be like, hey, we might need you to defend this championship uh, in a minute. Just want to throw that out there. So, and of course, the rivalry between all members of Suzuki Goon and LIJ, this rivalry is fantastic. It's definitely stable warfare between these two. This, this kind of reminds me of, you know, when it was like the Nation of Domination, uh, Nation of Domination, Going up against WWE uh, wrestling, I would say basically the factions of the late '90s when you had Los Bariquas and uh, the Nation of Domination and all those groups going up against each other and battling for uh, stable supremacy. Who was the best faction in WWE? That's what I love about New Japan: the stables going up against each other in warfare. It never, it's like never ending. They may take a match off against each other, but it's always some way, somehow that, you know, they're going to get in each other's business. And this match was pretty damn good. Uh, Suzuki didn't take long to drag Naito to the floor and start beating on him. Uh, They faced off a bit in the ring as well. Um, In tag matches, I think they're a lot better. But, I mean, they're a lot better because it's a lot more talent around them. The best part of the match was when uh, Evil and Zack Sabre Jr. were pairing off. I love uh, ZSJ's style. I like the way he goes in the ring. I love evil style. He's very aggressive, powerful moves, uh, makes for a great aesthetic between the two. Um, apparently during the match, and I forgot about this little detail, Zack Sabre Jr. hates Halloween, which is evil's favorite day of the year. So that was a little bit of a little bit of a thing on the match that gave me a few chuckles. Taka did get some offenses offense in here. Um, got a few near falls that I thought got the victory there. And I believe uh, Taka faced Evil in Beipu, and he got uh, he took an L there. But Evil would not be denied tonight, that night. He actually, at the end of the match, he hits Evil with everything is evil, which is, a, which is basically like an STO on Taka, gets the victory. But what will take shape between LIJ and Suzuki-Goon will lead into um, what's going to be going forward uh, of course, for Fighting Spirit Unleashed, King of Pro Wrestling, and ultimately Wrestle Kingdom. I love this. Man. I really enjoy these six guys. I really enjoy these factions going up against each other. Do not be surprised if they fade. I would say maybe uh, Saber Jr. and Taka will probably be in World Tag League. Of course, Evil and Sonata. They're already a, a strong tag team. They're former, I believe, two-time tag team champions in... I. I New Japan, so, or maybe they might have a Suzuki-Zack Sabre Jr. pairing in World Tag League, and they may face Evil Sonata. There's a lot going into it, going forward, especially for November. We then turn it, we then turn to the IWGP Heavyweight Champ, Junior Heavyweight Championship Tournament Semifinal between Kushida and Bushi. Bushi came out in a tribal headdress because, well, Bushi can do whatever he wants. Um, I personally had Kushida and Marty Skrull. I thought, I mean, if I had to choose between those, I had to choose between those four. I had Kushida taking on Marty Skrull with Marty Skrull winning the tournament. Now, that could possibly happen. We still have Fighting Spirit Unleashed to go on on Sunday. So maybe that happens or maybe they might go uh, the side of Kushida will Osprey. Who knows? But, um. Things started off a bit slow. Uh, 
between these two. I mean, these two definitely know each other very well between their battles. When uh, Bushi took the title away from Kushida before Kushida beat Bushi to take it back. I believe it was best of Super Juniors when Kushida won and then got the title back. Or that might have been him against Will Ospreay. I'm not exactly sure. But he did get the, get the title back from Bushi. I love Bushi as a junior. When he's doing singles matches, this guy is fantastic. Very smooth. Great move set. And they don't really... But the thing is, sometimes his matches only are set on one speed. So that may be something that he would want to work on in the future. But he definitely has a great move set that I like here. They picked up the pace a little bit. Hot strike exchange, a lot of back and forth. Uh, Kushida hits a rolling DDT that countered into that was countered into a code breaker. Then Bushi went for a Tope Suicida that somehow got reversed into a hoverboard lock. The crowd was very invested in this match, of course, being the uh, semifinal for the Junior Heavyweight Championship. And the crowd in Kobe loved Bushi. Just loved Bushi. It got to the point where he actually pushes the ref away and sprayed Kushida with his black mist, and the crowd actually cheered for it. They popped for that. They were ready for Bushi to actually beat would they most would consider him being the ace of the junior division. And I would definitely agree that Kushida is one of the top guys in the division, but I think Osprey or Skrull is the ace now um, instead of Kushida. That's just my opinion. I'm sure people will actually have that. Bushi went for the pin there right after that. Kushida kicked out. Um, he And then somehow, some way, he hit his, what he, uh, what he calls Back to the Future package Brain Buster twice. And got the pin and the victory and will be going on to the IWGP Heavyweight Championship match going on at King of Pro Wrestling on October 8th. This was a really good match. I had to re-watch it because I kind of fell asleep a little bit towards the end of it. Because, mind you, I just had, it's, it's early in the morning and sometimes you need your sleep. Just, just so you know, get your rest, people. It's important. But I really like the fact that when I watched it the second time... Um, the crowd was really, really invested in Bushi, and I think they're. I think maybe New Japan wants to maybe want to start. We want to start paying attention to how the crowd feels with Bushi. Maybe he may get a shine. Maybe it's just not his time yet. But that that will something to be seen going forward. Especially, I don't. I mean, I would would have loved to see Bushi and Takahashi. In the junior tag league, um, those I mean, with those two, it's a great pairing. So, unfortunately for Bushi, he's got to be chilling on the back burner for a little bit. And Kushida moves on to the final that will happen at King of Pro Wrestling in a couple weeks. We now get into the main event. Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazushika Okada with the Tokyo Dome IWGP Heavyweight Championship challenge rights contract on the line. There's a lot of words to say for one match, but there's a but to reiterate about the heavyweight championship challenge rights contract. Jesus Christ, a lot of words. <laughs> Tanahashi won the G1 climax last month. He then, yes, he won the G1 climax, but with the G1 climax, you win the right. To have them to be in the main event of the G1 of the G1 Climax tournament. No, the 
main event of Wrestle Kingdom on January 4th. Now, along the way, you must participate and fight to retain the Challenge Rights contract in three separate matches. This was Tanahashi's first match. And, of course, since he, he and Okada went to a time limit draw, this made sense to be the first match to actually be in be the first match to go against each other. Now, Kevin Kelly did note that Okada had been in six straight Wrestle Kingdom main events. And unless he won this match, that streak would actually be broken. He would not if he didn't beat Tanahashi, he wouldn't have his chance to main event Wrestle Kingdom. Now, for Okada to be in six straight Wrestle Kingdom main events and not have that Roman Reigns feel is something to be admired. I mean, excuse me. I mean, Okada is one of the best guys in the world. Top three, in my opinion. Uh, I would say top four if you want to add Tanahashi into the mix. Top five if you want to add uh, Anaito in there. And then if you want to add Chris Jericho, just for shits and giggles because he, you know, he's fucking awesome. But this was a very, very important match too. <laughs> Considering the fact that Tanahashi hadn't been able to beat Okada in almost 14, a little bit over 1,400 days, going back to 2015. The fact that you had not only the Challenge Rights contract on the line, but knowing that Tanahashi hasn't been able to beat Okada in, in three years adds a lot more weight to the match. It felt important. It felt like it needed to be a main event match. And it and this match really fit the bill. It was truly fantastic. Now, before the match even began, Okada was just, you know, he knew that he had the advantage. He knew that he had Tanahashi's number. Whether it be him beating Tanahashi or uh, having a time to draw. He had a smile in the corner. He was feeling good. Once the bell rang, though, crowd was immediately behind Tanahashi. And before I even go more into this match, um, the with Okada, the storyline with him as of late is ever since he lost the IWGP Heavyweight Championship to Kenny Omega back at Dominion in May. I guess he, I think I spoke about this before. That he's really been trying to find himself as of late. You know, you had the longest reigning, you know, the longest reign in New Japan's history. Over 700 days of the title. Breaking the, you know, title defense record of 12. Beating the man, beating the man who held the record before you, Tanahashi, to break that record was special in and of itself. But after he lost that title, he had to find himself again. He changed his hair color from blonde to red. He came out to the ring with balloons. He changed up his entire theme song. I mean, he was really trying to... And it really showed throughout the G1 Climax tournament. Um, at this point, though, with, with Okada, this was more focused. This was probably the biggest match of, his, of this year to date. Don't beat Tanahashi. You're not going to Wrestle Kingdom and being in the main event. Beat Tanahashi. You're in the main event. TBD. So, 
They start the match off. Crowd immediately, of course, starts you know favoring Tanahashi. Chance of go ace rang throughout the building. You had uh, Okada backing Tanahashi up to the ropes. Usually when he goes for the break, he's a clean break from him. He'll fake going for a chop, tap him on the chest, and then go for his rainmaker pose. In this case, he wasn't going for any of that. He went on the attack. Uh, hits Tanahashi with a forearm. Crowd starts booing Okada, which was a very interesting sight to see. I really wasn't expecting the crowd to be against Okada that hard. Um, the ace land, uh, Tanahashi landed hard on his left knee after hitting a planche to the outside. Um, and of course, at this point, Okada starts targeting Tanahashi's knee. Boos start to reverberate throughout the arena. Um, it was really interesting to see Okada altering his character a little bit to get that kind of reaction from the audience. It was very interesting that I mean, when Okada came in, he was basically, Okada came back from uh, Impact uh, TNA Wrestling, now Impact Wrestling, he came back as a heel and immediately went after Tanahashi for the uh, heavyweight title. So he can play a heel very well, but I, I think at this point right now, he's a little bit of a tweener. Uh, at this point, uh, later on in the match, Okada, he, Okada then tweaked his left knee. Tanahashi starts capitalizing on him. A lot of back and forth with, it, with either a man trying to uh, damage each other's knee. Of course, for uh, Tanahashi to damage Okada's knee, that takes away the base for his Rainmaker finisher. For Okada, he was trying to take his base away for Tanahashi's high fly flow finisher off the top rope. Now, Tanahashi got his knee caught in the top turnbuckle. Uh, Red Shoes asked for the help of the Young Lions to aid Tanahashi. That was a little bit weird. I wasn't understanding why that happened. Uh, I believe that was after the drop kick that Okada lands, which is probably one of the cleanest drop kicks in the game. And considering the man is 6'3", 240, and can get the height that he does when he has someone seated at the top turnbuckle in the corner, that was it, it's really nice, um, really clean the way he does it, and uh, really gets that height off very well to land that. We then get a very uh, long uh, figure four spot for Okada trying to uh, damage the knee even more. But this was very, very long. It, it was, I think it was about a little bit of a, about a minute, minute and a half before Tanahashi even tried to do anything to get to the rope. So they re- uh, pretty much rolled over into the ropes, finally got uh, that. It, it felt, I mean, they're saying on here it was very short. I felt it was like a little bit too long for my taste. But, um... Tanahashi knee, Tanahashi's knee at that point was just ripped to shreds. Um, he was hobbling. Uh, he needed the assistance of the ropes to even get himself up. He then starts getting some momentum in his favor. He hits uh, a tombstone pile driver on the outside and then hit Okada with a high fly flow, which damaged his knee even more. And Kevin Kelly actually covered for Okada's lack of selling uh, his own injured knee by crediting his uh, recuperative skill which was really interesting to hear. I was just like, um, that's kind of interesting. But with that being said, uh, Tanahashi continued to find ways to counter all of uh, Okada's Rainmaker attempts. He was going for about four or five at this point. Um, when you, I mean, they faced each other so many times over the past four or five years that they know that they have that moveset, like, to know, okay, I can counter this. I know how to counter this. And it gets to the point where they know how to create a late match sequence that Will, will keep you invested into, like, in the match of itself. This was definitely 
a great match between these two at this point. A lot of back and forth. Okada really desperate to try to get the victory and beat Tanahashi and get back and get back into that main event scene. Um, countless reversals, back and forth. Um, they tried to vie for control of the top turnbuckle. Um, at toward, at the end, Tanahashi then gets Okada down and hits a very very hard high fly flow off the top rope. Goes for it again for the second time. He hits it again. Goes for the third and final high fly flow. One, two, three. And Tanahashi finally exercises his demons and defeats Kazuchika Okada and retains the briefcase and retains his shot at going on to Wrestle Kingdom. This was definitely, and I don't know how they do it almost every single time. When you face an opponent so many times, to us as fans, as wrestling fans, especially I I guess it's more so the WWE side, it gets to the point where it becomes very boring. You know, you get used to something so much that you you get bored of it. If you eat pizza long enough, and I don't know why this came into my head, maybe I just want pizza, you get tired of it, you know? If you're doing something for so much, you get tired of it. And you got to switch it up. But the way Tanahashi and Okada, excuse me, somehow figure out a way to keep you invested in the rivalry and give you ways to end matches differently is truly, truly fantastic. I think it was more so both men targeting each other's knees because they know each other's base is their knees for their certain finishers, which is quite fantastic. And that was really something that I really enjoyed thoroughly. And this was definitely a match, another match of the year candidate between these two. They put on, they, I think this has literally been one of the best rivalries I have seen in the past decade. Ever since I started watching New Japan, I believe it was in 2014, after AJ Styles beat Kazuchika Okada for the heavyweight championship. This was this has been the the rivalry of rivalries. This is like your Hogan Savage. This is like your Hogan Warrior. This is your Triple H Orton, your Batista Triple H, your Michaels Triple H. Think of some of the best rivalries in your mind in wrestling history, and this definitely adds to it. Your uh, I guess we can add in a Cena Orton, your Cena Jericho's, all of that. This has that feel. Of that, of those, this fits up. This, uh, you know, this was probably their, their one of their best matches since I believe their their tw- time been drawn twenty sixteen when they faced each other in the G one climax tournament. And I agree here with Voices of uh, Wrestling Net with some wrestling That was their best match since twenty sixteen, and it was it was truly fantastic. And if you do have ngpwworld.com and you haven't seen this event, a I spoiled it for you. Second of all, not sorry, not sorry. And see, we're not even done. This isn't even the craziest part. The match itself was amazing. What happened after that was truly something to behold. And a lot of people, I think, and if you were really, and like I, and I, like I said before, I was foreshadowing that Jay White had been part of the reason that the Bullet Club had been sudden dissension. And with Okada brought Jay White into the fold, 
a lot of people were saying that Jay White maybe the re- Jay White being added into chaos may not be the best of ideas, considering the fact that he is a true proper heel, and Okada is a true proper babyface. So now from what vo- now from VoicesOfWrestling.com, before anyone could settle down, and I quote, before anyone could settle down and await Tanahashi's post match speech, speech, Jay White slid into the ring and hit the ace with a Blade Runner out of nowhere. This came out out of nowhere. He then proceeds to attack Okada. Yoshihashi actually ran down to Okada's defense. Before he got into the ring, he pulled a Titus O'Neil. Literally. And if you didn't see the Greatest Royal Rumble, it's a gif on Twitter for a reason. He literally pulled a Titus O'Neil. He fell down and bust his ass and almost went underneath the ring. He then gets up, runs to Okada's defense. White snaps on Yoshihashi after uh, what happened, uh, what occurred between these two early in the match. Hits him in a ch- hits him with a chair. Uh, I don't know how Yoshihashi started bleeding, but it might have been from the fall that occurred when he was heading towards the ring. But Yoshihashi was a bloody mess. He rubbed Yoshihashi's blood across his face like war paint. White takes the chair into the ring to finish Okada off. At this point, uh, Okada's manager Gato comes out. Um, now, one little detail about. Uh, Gato and Okada, after the G1 Climax Tournament, Gato announced that he would not be uh, Okada's, Okada's second in his matches any further. Um, and we're and you're about to find out why. Gato comes down, marching down to the ring. Everyone starts to cheer, of course, because that's that was Okada's guy. That was Okada's right-hand man. Uh, he came down, and it looked like he was going to scold uh, Jay White for his actions, you know, what are you doing? This is crazy. You need to be doing this. Okada and Jay White were looking at each other in the ring. They were, Jay White was uh, babbling, but pretty much Okada and Jay White were babbling back and forth. Jay White then goes for his uh, Blade Runner uh, pose, which basically is like a, like a bullet club gun going across the throat. At the, at the same time that White did that, Gato takes the chair and hits Okada with what I saw was pretty weak, but it was a chair shot to the back of Okada. And the crowd in Kobe was shocked. I was shocked. I was basically, I think I was making breakfast at the time. And I even was looking at, I mean, if you've seen one one betrayal with chair shots, you've seen enough to know what was about to happen. But with when if Okada and Gato, it's a little bit different, considering the fact that Okada and Gato had been by each other's side for six years, and then for Gato to all of a sudden betray Okada the way he did, and then of course Gato not being his cornerman anymore made sense for him to go after White. So, Gato betrays Okada and then actually becomes Jay White's second. Uh, mo- uh, moving on with um, with what Voices of, uh, of com said, um, Gato motioned White to hit Okada with a Blade Runner. He hits it. He then proclaims that White had beat both of these guys, uh, White being Tanahashi earlier in the year, and the briefcase and title contract therefore belonged to him. 
he ended it by saying that this is a new era. And that's how we went off the air for Destruction in Kobe 2018. And that was a one hell of a moment to see, to end the Destruction Tour. guys that's gonna be it for episode 10 of the young lions perspective i can't believe you we already made it to 10 episodes guys and here's the 10 more uh greatly appreciate you taking time out of your day to check out the show and if you like the show tell a friend tell a friend about the podcast share it on your social media and spread the word that the young lions perspective is the alternative to what you have been hearing as of late now if you don't check me out on the anchor app which is the mothership for all things ylp you can check me out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Stitcher Radio, and of course, that good old Spotify fam. Just search for the Young Lions Perspective and you should have no problem finding it whatsoever. If you're on Spotify, search for Wrestling With Issues and Young Lions Perspective will immediately pop up right after that. I don't know why that's a thing, but that's a thing. On my social media, you can find me on Twitter at SwedeSenatorWWI. I live tweet for every Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and every live WWE pay-per-view. So check me out there and keep the conversation going. I'm also on Instagram at Swede underscore Senator underscore WWI. I usually post the episodes up to that and let you know when we are live. Coming up this week, I do have, I will be talking about the most recent episode of NXT. And of course, episode four of the Mae Young Classic, where we finally get to see the WWE TV debut of Io Shirai. The hype for her has been insane. Of course, she will be going one-on-one with Zaya Brookside. Of course, I will also be giving you my predictions for Fighting Spirit Unleashed going down this Sunday. So you might want to stay tuned for that. Guys, enjoy the rest of your week. I'll see you guys this weekend, guys. Have a good one. See you.